Here we go. Three, two, one. We are live again. Code live light. We're going to call this a little hybrid of Codecast season three. I've been having people ask me for years about running some sort of economics podcast. Eventually, I wanted to bring on the right person to do it with. And it's kind of weird who we've got today is my good friend, Akash. Um, Akash, how are we doing? How are we feeling? Doing well, man. You introduced us the economics podcast. And uh, if someone looks me up, I don't have the economics background. So I'm kind of uh, I'm that guy. But Fair. hey, I've learned a lot. Fair. We're all just that guy at the Pretty end of hard. the day, right? So right. as long as we're a little bit better than the average guy walking down the street, the job's been accomplished. And what we're doing, I guess, technically is we're taking stuff that people use so much slang and acronym and bringing it down to like regular guy in the gym listening to it while he's working out level. Um, right. So what we're going to do here today is a little bit different. It's going to be going over some economic stuff just on a high end of current events. I'm going to put a big disclaimer right now. So if my compliance team starts listening to this, I don't want to hear it. If any of my clients that are so many of them are great listeners are asking me about it, we're not trading on anything. This is no financial advice. I don't want to have people chirping me in my email like, you said this in the podcast, should I change it? No, this is just us discussing topics. That's my version of copyright here. There's no investment advice. This is not financial advising. All right, now that we got the fun stuff over with, we'll actually get into the real meat and potatoes of this. Um, so, gosh. Couple of things that I think you'd actually mentioned this to me a while back is just this general concept right now. When COVID hit, right, we saw everyone having this mass exodus, right? Work from home was like the standard. And then what we ended up seeing is right, this large commercial real estate just getting smoked and eventually started to realize what we thought was gonna be work from home forever has not probably going to be that for the long run. What are you seeing? Because Akash, you're in New York, so it's a hub of this situation right now. What are you seeing and how do you see it playing out right now? Yeah, man, I'm going to give you my freeform thoughts. Like when COVID hit, the city died. Like I honestly felt afraid to just go out. It was just what I would say is it turned into like a just like Gotham, which you would imagine when, you know, when the crime lords took over. It was pretty bad, man. And I honestly thought that was it. That was the end. Um, I guess a part of me said no was going to come back. We took the opportunity and bought in New York at that time at the low end of the market. And like my, where I'm seeing there's a like a distinction between my experience in the city because I think the city has come back more lively, more vibrant than ever. But then you read these news articles and it's constantly talking about people leaving the city and the city is falling apart and so on. Maybe, but man, there's a difference between the phenomenological experience which I had lived daily versus what you read on the news. So it's hard for me to reconcile, like, what's true? Is my experience not true? Like, I'm seeing the city come back more vibrant. There, you know, uh, people are acting as a community more. Um, you know, it's not dead that I thought it was going to be. When I, when I go to San Francisco, I see the opposite. I don't see the vibrancy that I see in New York. Mm. So maybe it's, like, localized. Um, but I don't know, man. Like I, that's how I kind of see it. Like it's it was dying. It had died. It has now come back, and I hope it comes back even stronger. Um, but your point about like work from home, I think we are never going to go back to the pre-COVID world of nine to five in the office. I think we've tasted 
the the golden apple of like what it means to have flexibility, what it means to you know have time for family and and have a hybrid schedule. So I I see like folks who are clamoring at the bits to say, oh, come back and it's going to be nine to five in the office. I just don't see that happening. So you actually brought up an interesting point. And this is how CoCast always works. Of like, if I could bring you back, you said you were going to San Fran, right? Mm-hmm. And you said it's it's quite the opposite of what you're seeing in NYC, correct? Yes. If we were to spin this out, I guess first, what would you stab that to be as like one of the main catalysts of the just deserted nature of San Fran right now? My thinking or what I've seen is New York, at least where I live, still has a lot of families who live in the city. The neighborhood I live in is primarily families. Mm. And when you have families living, you want that community to be good. You want that community to thrive. San Fran, whenever I go, I barely see any families. I cannot recall the last time I saw, you know, a traditional nuclear family in San Fran. Just don't see it. Interesting. So, that's a demographic difference. Is it possible just like how the city was built? Like New York has been so densely populated for so many years that it's just not going to flush. And like New York has all these different businesses. It's got so many different things versus like we know San Fran as the original tech hub, right? And so if if we spin this over, um, plug on an econ pod, right? You've got interest rates now that are – you feel like Jerome Powell is basically trying to get a tattoo that says, I love Paul Volcker. He's giving the guy a run for his money on the interest rates. Obviously, guys, you and I both know is as interest rates start rising, right, and we get somewhat of a rocky economy, VC's pockets aren't open as much as they used to be where they're just going to fire hydrant cash and attack as much as they used to. Right. So, Which is what we're seeing. Totally. Which is what you're seeing. And so, therefore, is it like – obviously, you and I probably both have friends known that like startup pay went down, startup nosedive, right? We're cutting people just to try to maintain it. And it's just after the bloodbath, I wonder if it's with the less people commuting. San Fran is like the tax of work from home is much more prominent tech world than it is in regular world. I wonder if that has to play like another layering of the cake of why you have such a deserted natured mecca yeah, of the U.S. I, I, I think you, you bring up a good point, which is the origin stories of these cities. I, I would say the demographics element is a key part, key part that I was mentioning, but that you could say hey, the way the cities got started impacted the demographics, which is true as well. So, yeah, you're to your point, like, it's a very layered nature to the cake. But, yeah, man, I think that's absolutely true. I think demographic plays a huge part. Economics of the city plays a huge part. And, and think about it. Why would you want to live in a city which is riddled with crime, riddled with needles? It's dirty. It's, it's all these things. You, can, you and I can go probably list 10 things that's happening. I see that more in San Francisco than I see in New York. Now, my frame of reference in New York is not your average, you know, guy visiting New York who's going to Times Square, which is disgusting, you know, all these places. Like, I'm talking about residential portions of Manhattan. Got it. Now, gosh, you give us a little bit more flavor and stuff like that. So, like, you are you get to see, like, the actual boots on the ground, right? So, if you were to just – the, I don't know, danger level. So, you would say – like, if you if like you and your wife um, – we have kids and we have to either pick New York City or San Fran from a safety perspective. We're going NYC all the way is what it sounds like. 
Yeah, 100%. There is a 0% chance San Francisco is even on my list. Got it. Which is interesting, too, because, okay, so I'm a Chicago guy, as most people on the pod know. Like, you walk in Chicago, it's very neighborhood-friendly, too. That's like, hey, what neighborhood are you from? Bridgeport, you know, Gold Coast. It's just kind of like New York, but just smaller. And that's the same thing, too, where usually it's like, hey, you know, Pam and Tony have lived on the block of 16th and, you know, Cicero for 47 years. And, like, you're not throwing uh-huh. water, you're not throwing litter on my lawn. So it, it kind of the same thing with New York, where it's like, hey, there's a pride in this, right? And I, I right. wonder if it's because it's been around for so much longer. Maybe if that plays into factor too, because you have Chicago, NYC that have been around forever. San Fran of what we know it as now wasn't always that, right? It mainly got its stronghold in the 70s, 80s, 90s, more or less rocking and rolling. Right. I, I also think, man, the, the, so the adding to the, another layer to the cake now – you add the local politics, the local government, and that's another thing, right? Can I trust the local government to have my back? Do I trust they will actually, like, crime will be punished and not overlooked? That's 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 factoring into all these cities. I would say that's not unique to San Francisco. I think that's happening across the board in any major urban hub. But more so, you notice that more so from a resident standpoint in SF than you do in NYC. And that is quite interesting, too. So we're getting to see these, it kind of pegways over into this. And so, like, in a political spectrum, which we're just throwing out just general guys on observing boots on the ground. So right. it's kind of like, you ever seen that uh, Instagram channel, Real News, No Bullshit, where they just basically have blanketed facts and there's no opinion piece ever written in there? Um, right. So That's what we're trying to avoid. I think you and I were just talking about this before, Ben. Like, I think it's so often that these... Um, People are hesitant to, like, I talk to folks in the city, and they will say, but the but New York Times is saying crime is through the roof. It's like, yeah, fine, but why are you going by the Times? Why can't you just think about what you experience? Do you experience crime more now than you did in 2020? No, you don't. Amen. So it, why would you not say that? Why are you going by? Why are you a book coper? Stop being a book coper. Live your life. That, gosh, that's so true. Same thing with Chicago. Like, gun violence is through the roof. I can tell you, like, I can run you a heat map. If you're in the hot zone, probably not good. If you're outside the hot zone, your statistical chances are extremely minimal. But they just want it like I actually um, have a few people that I I know uh, that were formerly news reporters, like for actual large news channels. And they will use the saying that they used to always use was, if it bleeds, it reads. Right? You don't want to hear. That's when we look at most news segments, right? 55 minutes of it's like person shot, killed, stabbed, kidnapped. And the fa- the last five minutes is like, here's this one good segment of this dog shelter that just got started. So inherently, like, they want to sensationalize stuff. And it's, it's incredible. Like, I'm sure you guys do have the same aggravation, too, of like, oh, you live in New York. Do you carry a gun on you at 24-7? Like, no, I'm going to the local bodega to get a bottle of water and walking right back. I'm not dodging bullets on 55th. Yeah, it's it's not a war zone, and and man, that goes to the the other topic we're saying, which is mainstream media is I just can't trust it anymore. And look, I the trust isn't going down over time, but now it's just blatant. It's just they don't even try to hide it. Like it, what they're trying to do, they don't even try to hide. It's they're trying. It's a fear mongering campaign, and very few people are aware of it consciously to say, hey, am I reading it? Because like this is this has been the traditional like I mean think about it right our parents generation they know cable news is a trustworthy source they can't go away from it even if they're listening to utter guard they just can't go away from it 
you and I, I think I'm noticing in our generation, it's not so much about cable news. It's a lot more about these long-form podcasts. Like my primary news channels are now a lot of people will say this is bro science, but it's Rogan. It's all in. It's you know, it's uh, more of these podcast forms. I'm sick and tired of these mainstream media just lying through their teeth. And to your point, too, that makes it so much worse, the salt in the wound, they know it. They, like, it's not that they've been caught once. It's it's not like a left versus right thing. Like, this is blanketed across the board. You've been right. caught, and it's like, eh, I'm going to keep doing it, and there's nothing you can do about it. But to this certain point, this actually pairs well really into a transitionary piece. Now we're starting to see like this next you know, uh, run of the presidency – People are going about it a little bit differently where it's like, I'm not only going to do news new interviews with C-SPAN and Fox Business. They're going on these long forms and reaching these people that never otherwise would have never even known about these people. I mean, Akash, you, you were the guy that originally brought this point up to me a couple weeks ago. So obviously you can speak to it even better than I can. Yeah, I, I think that's true, man. But like to tie off the point you were saying, I think it's important for the listeners to say we just switch topics, but contextualize like what we like an experience that I like had with this mainstream media in the city did two years ago. And I was saying like, that's a pivotal point for me and many New Yorkers to when COVID hit, the city was crumbling. It became absolute dystopia. They, I remember vividly that mainstream media was on going on and on about how cops were all evil. Cops were the main problem. We need to abolish cops, et cetera, et cetera. Add your, you know, typical ACAB story lingo there, right? Two years later, now, now that the crime is through the roof, they're gaslighting, saying we don't have enough cops. But I haven't forgotten that they were the ones saying we don't, we need to abolish cops, we need to get rid of cops. And now they're going on about there's too much crime and we don't have enough cops is the mayor's fault. Well, you can't have it both ways, mainstream media. Either you hold your ground and say, okay, the, our point was correct, and it seems like all they care about is clickbait, man. All They'll just go with the wind wherever it goes. It's not about the truth. They're not on a pursuit of truth. They're on a pursuit of clicks. And I am just – that's like that's a very, very visceral experience for me because I, I don't want to be gaslit as a resident of the city because I'm proud of my city, man. I, I love my city. I would not leave it. And when I see people gaslighting, I have inherent distrust in that. And – so much to your point, too, because we live in two major metropolitan cities, is that they want to take, out of 100 people, they want to take the one bad person and put them like, this is the face. Like, this is the right. person. This person is all of them behind that, right? Right. And it's just like when they put, like, you know, the mainstream media does it the same thing in the other way where it's like poor community riddled with crime. And they'll post all these people that are doing all these crimes but never give the credit to the great people that are inside lower impoverished communities. And so they're just trying to start a heat war I remember watching um, during one of the uh, protests that got a little bit out of hand in Chicago where there was a corner, it was probably 12 police officers, uh, probably 20 police officers in like a U. Um, and then it got bent so it looks like a rainbow. And then the crowd started backing them into a corner to where they were against two concrete buildings. So you got basically like these 24 cops backs against the concrete wall with, hun with 100 people, seas of them screaming at them and you're watching this happen from a helicopter above like the news is filming this right now my biggest fear that happened in that entire situation is thank god 
We didn't have anybody light off a couple of firecrackers. Because if, if they're done on the right acoustic, you can be like, that's a gunshot. And then, like, what happens then immediately? Because you don't know what's going on. Thankfully, it eventually dissipated. But, like, who is the catalyst of that entire situation, right? Obviously, there's yeah. multiple parties involved that started it. But who's th- who's spraying gas on the fire? MSM. It's incredible. They're the, they're the instigators. I, I think they are... It's one of two things. Either they're spawn of pure evil and they're doing this consciously, or it's even worse that they're idiots and they don't know what they're actually doing. Fact, Either way, it's bad. Have you ever noticed how there's never any accountability for them? Ever! Oh, no, 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 never. They will change their story like none other. Like, think about the COVID stuff, right? Like, before, you couldn't say, I don't know, like take, like anything, like, oh, vaccines were could be potentially risky or COVID started in the lab. Like all those things were taboo in a way. Those, those were outside the doctrines. You can't, you know, lead to blasphemy. Of course, you're going to get punished for having blasphemous thoughts. Now they're accepting is they're backtracking a little bit here and there. And it's like no accountability, no apology pieces, no recognition of like, oh, we caused all this problem, but now we're, we're tracking back. But yeah, man, I mean, I think uh, we've, the, the uh, this is why people our generation are moving away from mainstream. I mean, you can see this in the statistics. How we, you know, CNN, Fox News, do they get the the level of ratings Joe Rogan's podcast gets? No, they don't. They don't even get that half the number of listeners. So it's obvious where the trend is going. It's just they have a foothold on a major distribution channel, which is why they're still around. Hundred percent, and. You just think it's like when we're 50 and 60, do those channels really even exist? There's probably going to be a couple. But like no, at a certain I point. I think it'll exist. Just in a different. How do you see it existing? Like just in a different fashion? Or how do you. Because that's actually an interesting topic I've never thought about is what does MSM look like 10 years from now? I mean, it's a wave, right? So you could say maybe Rogan becomes the MSM of mm. in the next 50 years. And then everything we're saying will be said about that channel, that distribution channel, by the next generation, potentially. Yeah, it's just like as much as things change, they're they, they're the same. It's just the pendulum that we're living in seems to be the new. Um, right, and and we have some historical like kind of patterns to see. I mean, I'm sure there were radio personalities who were the mainstream in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. When the TV came around, that era was completely gone, and then you had this new wave that became the norm. Now we're seeing the tail end of this era, and the Rogan guys are the... Uh, you know, it's the rising wave. So I'm sure it's a wave tidal pattern that'll happen again and again. So I see it, them never like dying. I'm sure because there's a distribution channel, they'll be there, but it'll change its form. And the next mainstream media will become these podcasts. The podcast will be the next mainstream media, in my opinion. I would have no opposition to that thought. The thing that was really disheartening, because you and I are both in leadership positions, of the fact of like how the mainstream media goes about itself, even when they're proven wrong, mm-hmm. the respect I would have for them would be so much greater, and I wouldn't have as much disdain for them. If you just have somebody pony up and be like, we got this one wrong, that's on us. But it'll never, uh, ever, ever happen. I think we should, you and I should, we should get in the habit of changing the terminology and calling it what it is appropriately should be called. It's not mainstream media. It's activist media. That's what they are. Huh. 
I never thought about that from that terminology, but there's nothing in that terminology that would make me think otherwise. And that's really sad because people depended on that so much. And it was like a, in the 1980s, like you could trust the guy you were talking to on TV. And now, like whenever I see like a news channel, like I assume they're lying to me first before I think they're like, it's crazy. Like they're, they're guilty until proven innocent. In my mind. That's sad. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's one of those things that we have this massive expansion and growth and stuff like this. And a lot of things are changing now as well. And so one of the other topics that we put on here, and obviously this is just us two guys talking about this, is right now with like where is the country headed from a financial standpoint? And I think like, Akash, you've got you've always brought up really good points whenever you and I talk of like, the U.S. is living on this high right now. And as much as people think like, oh, you know, like you might have a small recession, like the beer is still pouring out of the tap. But the problem is we've run out of our own keg and now we're pouring beer out of somebody else's keg. And at a certain point, that bar tab is going to become due. And so my biggest thing I wonder is like, what what has to change for us to go back to it? Because like, isn't there, there's basically two schools of thought. Um is that there's the modern monetary policy where it's like capitalism wins. And you could argue, like, I don't care what anybody says from a mathematical standpoint, capitalism has its flaws and people get hurt. But you can't say it doesn't from an economic standpoint work. We America's proven that, period. But, you know, what, what is the, is there an ability where capitalism can keep carrying the U.S. as far out as it wants? Or is it like Rome where eventually all good things have to come to an end? That's, it's a tough question, man, because it, you would say, based on, I'm sure you think the same way, based on what you read, based on what you're experiencing in the markets, that this can't go on. And yet it does. So, look, I think this whole, a lot of people say this, like, oh, our debt ceiling, or our debt number is through the roof, like, we can't sustain at this level. And you, you kind of mentioned this debt to GDP um, kind of ratio. I like Chabot's point quite a bit. Yes. I was going to say, I was like, I wonder if he's going to take it. Because if he's not, I'm certainly like, so, Akash, go ahead, throw it. Yeah, I I like Chabot's point quite a bit, which is, look, everyone keeps saying this, but the the debt-to-GDP ratio will just go up. There there is no basis for it. Like, what is the number that we should all be afraid of? Yes, debt is going through the roof, but we can't say, oh, my God, if it's more than 100%, we are... Gonna, it's going to fall and collapse. No, then the new thing is going to be 150%. Then you reach 150%, then all the new thing is going to be 200%. Like, there is no number. So it's another moot point that we like to sensationalize, but there's no actual implication of that number. So where I think it it the it actually matters is, look, as, as to one of the, I'm like, this is where I'm going to punch above my weight class, and you have to correct me where I'm wrong, but one of the other correlated effects is what's happening is debt going through the roof, our interest rates are rising, less capital flowing in the economy, that, all a culmination of all those three things is leading to small businesses hurting, less innovation in the country, um, more people out of jobs, that has an effect. But I don't think it's that one lever, the debt, that's causing this. I think it's a culmination of all of these things that are causing it. Because we had debt when, at the low interest environment. 
we still had one of the highest debts in the low interest environment, and it wasn't so bad. So that's and and from an optic standpoint, I think for the country, it's particularly kind of like you're pouring you know gas on fire when we're hurting, the regular Joe is hurting. They're out of jobs, and what we see is we are getting involved in other nations without first tackling what's happening internally. That's kind of optically bad, but again, like I don't know if it's oh okay, you know the debt goes from whatever a trillion to another trillion. Like it doesn't really change anything except for the balance sheet. No. Yeah, I, and I couldn't agree with that more. Unfortunately, people sometimes say like, well, that's that's you know that's heartless, and it's like I can't put out my neighbors. If I got a fire hose in my, if I got a garden hose, right, they can spray a ton of water, and my house is on fire, and my neighbor's house is on fire. If I put out my neighbor's house fire before I put out my house fire, whose house takes on more damage? Mine. So it's this whole notion of like people want to be the purveyor of the free world, but it's like you're spraying water from a limited well. We don't have unlimited water, and so I think it gets dangerous. Your point of the. I think that's such an interesting thing of the psychology behind that, and I 100% agree to it too. 100%. But we just think 100% sounds bad because everything else we hear in life, 100% seems really bad. So we just think that number 100 is brutal. But let me, Akash, let me pitch you on a company, on a company, or I'm sorry, a country if I can. All right. Double okay. A credit rated. Extremely, extremely well educated economy extremely well-educated population. Some of the smartest kids in the world are coming out of here. Some of the best technology that we actually utilize in the U.S. comes from there. Right now, they're in the Pacific. If I just, if I just shared with you those ideas and you didn't know anything else, like we're trying to deduce who's he talking about, is that sound like a country? Like, yeah, that sounds like a financially viable country. I would presume it's you're talking about Japan. Yeah, exactly. And so, but what if I told you that their U.S. debt, I'm sorry, their debt to GDP is like 230%, but no right. one's screaming about that. They're just saying, well, we got 100, and that somehow in, means bad. It, it's ridiculous. It, 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 exactly. Well, that's that's the country I Chamath brought up too, and that's what I have in mind, which is, well, they've reached these levels. I'm sure they've gone through the same rhetoric of, Oh, 100% is going to mean like collapse. I mean, it's the same freaking rhetoric we had when it was like, you know, Y2K, it's going to all come down. Like, we love sensationalizing this archetype of the apocalypse. We love living in that thinking, right? That frame of mind, like, oh, something's like, you know, you had the Y2K, you had the 2012 mind calendar, all that. I'm going to be, I'm sure now people are going to be like, oh, this guy, he was a conspiracy theorist, you know. But, um, long story short, what I'm trying to articulate is we love these archetypes of, apocalyptic thinking like this event will cause why and it'll be disastrous i think we have a an odd way in a collective way we have a weird psychological relationship with something bad happening i don't know why Mm. like why do we keep going back back to it why can't we like imagine if if you had a friend who was always saying these kinds of like dystopian things. And you'd be like, dude, what's wrong with you? Why can't you ever say something positive? Like, yes. So why can't you say this event will cause something good? Like you're always saying something will cause some evil, right? I don't want to hang out with you anymore because you're, yep. you're just buzzkill. 
Like, think about that. Like, psychologically, why do we do this? Why do we put up with this crap? And you know what's interesting I've always thought of, too? The person that's screaming apocalypse in their lungs, they never offer a solution. They're just screaming about the apocalypse. They're not offering, well, here's how we can avoid that from happening. And say eventually at one point that guy is right. What did you win there? Like, okay, you were right. You predicted the end. Great. I, I, I don't know what to give you here. So it, it's just it's just really disheartening, and I think that's so true, Agash, where they just people want to think like the end's coming for some reason just to be right. Like it makes when we break it down to a, a logical level, it makes no logic at all. Like providing problems without providing solutions. Well, yeah, I think that I'll, I'll take this to a little bit of a, like the political realm because you could say the collect, collective psychology kind of manifests in what's happening in the politics because we have a representative government. Think about like the the candidacy we saw in the era of the 2000s, right? We had, I would say, this is my perspective on it again, is I would, we generally had very poor leadership across the board. We had every single candidate that came up, it was a fear-mongering campaign. Whether it's the Republicans, you have the Bush era, you point the finger to the Middle East and say, those are the problems, yep. and we need to go after that, and they'll cause our apocalypse. Then you have the Democrats who are saying, the climate change is going to cause the apocalypse. Then you flip-flop uh, flip and you say, okay, no, 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 it's the Wall Street people who's going to cause the apocalypse. But the archetype of the apocalypse has continued to live in just different forms. The apocalypse changes, the party line changes, but the overall theme remains the same. And it's just like, you know, it's uh, it's back and forth and back and forth. And very few, I actually honestly have not seen, until very recently, inspiration to say it's not apocalypse, it's actually positive. Let's inspire ourselves. Mm. And the only person who I'm seeing that from, I wouldn't even say, definitely not Trump. And look, I'm, I, I love the guy, but... It's Vivek. Vivek is the only one who has an ounce of inspiration in him. Like, the Democrats right now, it's all a fear of Andrew campaign. Fear of the alt-right, fear of Ukraine, or fear of Russia, fear of the fear of Trump, right? All of these, it's a fear campaign. And, and it's, it would be idiotic if we don't see it that way. It's the same thing on the other side, right? The Republicans are, it's mostly a fear campaign. Oh, if you don't do this, the leftists are going to take over. Oh, if you don't do this, you know, your children are going to be taught things that you don't want them to do. Whatever it is, you know, yeah. what it is. But no one is offering, like, what could it be? What is the vision that I could be? I don't want to be in the could-nots. I, I don't want I, I to live in a world of, like, this shouldn't happen, right? I'm doing it as a reaction to something bad. What if I'm doing it because I want to do something good? What is that world? And I think uh, Vivek is the only one, even with an ounce of... Yeah, inspiration. And Akash, just to your same point, too, like all the guys that we look up to are not guys that just let life happen to them and like, well, it is what it is. Like, I can't do anything right. about it now. Like, you have to do something. You can't just sit there right. and let life hand itself to you. And so right. remember when we, like, let's just look at, for instance, when global warming came out back in the day, like the polar caps are melting. We'll put the polar bears out there swimming in the water. Right. And then it was always like it was always taught of this like doomsday, like it's going to happen. The ocean's going to come up 62 inches. You're going to be taking a boat to work. Love boats. So I wasn't really opposed to that one. And I hate the winter in Chicago. But um, the thing is now, like now you're actually starting to see people say, like, well, hold on. Maybe we can reverse this or maybe it's not as bad as we once thought it was. And it's very interesting for Vivek to come out and say, like, 
no, like, hold on. Th this is not as bad as it's going to end up being. And, like, this can't easily be changed. It doesn't have to have this radical overhaul where we flip the whole thing up on its head. Like, what are common sense things that we can do that make big change that don't require a ton of money? Be a great parent to your kids. That doesn't cost any money, quite frankly. Or it's like, there, it's it's so, we always think like there's these big utopian solutions that fix everything. And at the end of the day, it's fixing ourselves first and then hourly helping other people be the best version of themselves. But man, let me ask you this question. What is that? What is that best version of yourself? What is a good parent? Who is showing the path forward? So that's a really tough question because to be the best version of yourself, because you and I listen to the same thing like have lived it too, like, the best version of you is usually a compilation of a bunch of shit you don't want to do. And it's a never-ending journey. So it's like, I don't want to... I'm sure you probably have this too. Like 75% of the stuff I do in a given day, I don't want to do. But it's like, I know if I don't do those things, the worst version of me wins. And if I stack up enough worst version of code days in a row, that ain't looking good for anybody. right? So it's like being a pillar where it's like, hey... I, that guy would never tell me to do something that he wouldn't do. And I think that's where parenting starts off from the top. Like, my dad told me this, but he'd never tell me to do something that he himself would not do or believe in. So I, I think it comes from that. That was a good question. Yeah, and I, I think, man, I, we are lacking, I would say, good leadership, good role models in this, I would say, I don't want to say this country in just our era. Very, I mean, there are pockets of it, of course, you know, but you'll have to find it. But the general leadership that you see around, it's it's piss poor. Like, who do you look up to anymore? And religion's dead, so you can't look there. And so it's, it's. I think there is a gap of, like, good role models to to say, this is the path I want to pursue. And, and I think that's, a, that's something we have to solve as a nation. That's why I'm saying, like, we need inspiration, not fear. Like therapy 101, what do they say? It's like, don't tell yourself you have to do something. Tell yourself you want to do something, right? I want to be that. Like, imagine if we stopped as a nation saying, I have to go left or right. I have to do this or this. Because if I don't, the other side's going to be taking over, whatever it is. Right. What if you want to do something? Like, what if I want to create, I don't know, like Pax Romana in America? What if I want to create Pax Americana again? Like, how do I do that? Like, maybe I want to do that. That's a frame of mind. It's a very subtle shift. It's, it sounds very, you know, uh, like, kind of like, I don't know, maybe it sounds too, I would say, bullshit, but it's, it's, it's true. I mean, it's a simple frame of mind shift to say, instead of I have to, I want to. And that, I think, we need, and not many people are talking about that. That's been part of the whole, like, thing I predicated my practice on is this understanding how people think because how we think determines our actions, our actions determine our habits and our habits determine a lot of our life. So how we can perceive something honestly changes our view of it, right? Like you and I can both look at a situation and say like, we can look at it from this angle or we can look at it from this angle. It's the glass half empty, half full summarized right. down to a, a minimal point. It's like, right. I think right. having an optimistic mind is always a competitive advantage in the world. So and, and I agree with you, man. I agree with you, and I'm, that's actually why I'm very excited, and, and I'm going to take this. This is a dinner table conversation that I won't have because my wife would say, don't bring up politics all the time. But this is where I'm like, I'm very excited for where things are going because for the first time I see inspiration from a, from a group of candidates who represent the collective, which would, to me, which would mean that, hey, we as a nation want that inspiration, and we're showing that. 
um, on the stage. And there's actually, you know, and for the first time in my life, there's actually, you know, a candidate over on the blue side that I actually really like, and he's also built like a truck. Um, RFK. Yeah. You and I have talked about it. We have fanboyed over this man. We, dude, I, I honestly, and that's what I'm saying. Like across the board, we see Vivek on one side, we see RFK on the other side. Like how do, you, like we didn't have, we had a dearth of candidates like this just last election cycle. Like we had two old men, and now we have two. I would say this is a new era of candidates. This is not even the old era. I think we're done with the boomer era candidates. We're done with the, you know, the ultra professional looking, giving you comforting words, uh, Obama type of candidates. We're right. done with that. We're now going into a little bit more of a Yankee type of candidate, right? Which, you know, Ramaswamy and, and RFK both don't typically represent your your uh, Bush era or Clinton type of candidates. They're very different. Oh. I, I don't have the words to articulate because I'm, I'm missing a category on how to uh, think about this, but it's very obvious when you compare that that era of candidacy and then you have the Trump and Biden era of candidacy versus what you're seeing right now, it's a totally different era of candidacy. 100%. I couldn't be more excited about it. It's exciting. Like these guys have a little bit of crisp to them, a little bit of edge on them, which is great. And it's crazy because if you look, if you take... Vivek and RFK, the common ground between that list is massive. And it's like, it's all like against censorship, right? Like, how would you, this is crazy. And, and I can't remember, um, Johnny Rotten, who is the former lead singer of the Sex Pistols. I remember he was interviewed and he goes, I never thought there would ever be a time in my life that the Republican side of the world is trying to stick it to the man. Like, that was always the man. And somehow at this point, the cards have turned, censorship is running hot, and if I say I love the United States of America, they now monitor CodeCast as a domestic terrorist possible risk because I love the United States. So right, it, it's absolutely incredible. These guys are coming out, they're saying something different for once. And the thing is now, I will get really, I get a little bit anxious because, gosh, like, whether you like the guy or not, Obama was a phenomenal speaker. That guy's ability to deliver messages and speech of, like, in a cadence, um, impedance, tone inflection, like a pure speaker. Not the message, right. but, like, how the guy could demand a speech in a room. Exceptional. The problem was, it didn't get anything done. Like, nothing right. happened. So, I, I always have, like, a little grain of salt, but at least for once now, I'm optimistic versus, like, oh, boy, here we go. And even I watched the debates live, and I was, you know, what I appreciated was for, it's been a while since I've noticed debates that were, that brought up very good disagreement points, but handled it very, with, with civility. And I noticed that the, even the, like any candidates in the RNC, you know, uh, debate set that just happened, man, they were so, like, I didn't see any of, like, belittling it was of course you want to put down the other candidates running against you there is no question and you should do that but it was handled in a professional way i didn't think it was a you know uh, a, a stage of idiots doing this shit right and last last election or 2016 i actually did think that i was like wow these, these are the people that that we have selected these are the people who are going to represent they can't even have a fucking debate properly it would be it'd be more like it'd be more appropriate for an snl skit than it would be an rnc convention quite it, frankly exactly so i'm i'm very excited i i am seeing i think 
if we can't all agree as a nation, on, regardless of which side you're on, that this is progress, then I think we'll never agree. And, and, and man, like think about it. Like just look at the rep, you know the left goes on about DEI and uh, diversity. You look at the candidate pool on the on the Republican side. You got the vet. You got Nikki Haley. You got um, you know all uh, the, the couple of the the, the the traditional politicians. It's the, you can't say the cards are ranked against you know the the little man. Actually, the little man is winning, right? So Vivek yep. is the the most unforeseen candidate and yet he is probably one of the favorites in the crowd i mean he clearly won the debates there's no question he was on a podcast of a guy that i actually i'm a huge fan of andy Frisella, just period um just from a business mentality but like he was on the podcast with him today and the one thing i really appreciate about him as well is that the general synopsis i don't care who's running if you're banking on a political candidate to save your ass not good. I don't care what side it is. I don't care how aligned. If you think one political presidency is going to change your life from shitty to great overnight, that ain't going to happen. But it's it's the self-development of us first that changes our life circumstance. Now, the external pressures of politics can make it easier or harder, but you can't. It's No one's giving out golden tickets. That ain't going to happen. But the one thing that Vivek ended it with, he goes, I'm not here to be your savior. That ain't me. I'm just here to basically provide a conduit for other people to find their own savior and not try to have the government be the one-all, be-all look to to save things. Because it's never going to change no matter who is running or who's elected. Neither one is going to provide this yellow brick road now that everything goes to, like, sunshine and rainbows. That's a really good phrase you bring up, actually. And I, I want to kind of pick on that. So we were talking about the archetype of the apocalypse. We, we think of this apocalyptic nature of things. Then you brought up the savior complex, and you could say Trump plays the savior card pretty well. You could say the left plays the savior card pretty well. I would almost say, if you say there's a savior uh, kind of theme going on as well, you could make a case that politics is the new religion. God is Ooh. dead, but God has come back in politics. And so you could say there's an archetypical theme of like, uh, the rapture going on, which is the apocalypse. Then there is the savior, the Messiah, coming back to save us from all all evil. And so we've we've taken the same themes because those are, as Peterson would say, those are kind of patterns that exist in human psychology. And just said, hey, take it out of the book because we no longer believe in church and project it on this politics because that's what the new religion is. And Vivek is kind of a a new wave of like, no, 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 I'm not the savior. You have to save yourself, and I think that's where a lot of the friction comes, right? Because a lot of the old schoolers don't want people like that. They don't want to hear that theme. They want the theme of, like, who is my savior? Trump's going to save us all, or whoever is going to save us all. So that's why it's hard to digest, because not many people want to save themselves. And most of the traditionalist politicians want to micromanage everything. Like, they think they need to be the micromanager of everything, but if we bring it down to, like, a regular workplace mentality, the best bosses are usually the ones that are like, hey... It's on you, but if you need me, I'm here. Um, right. It, it's incredible. Um, right. We'll do, all right, here's what we're going to do, because this is the first one. We always cap them at 45 minutes, and we're going to run towards an line. So this is actually, usually I can tell a gut feeling when we have got like a lot of juice and, you know, uh, gunpowder in here. And so we got enough to do it again. So what we're going to do is we're going to do econ podcast. So call this the number one, one. We'll do, Akash, if you're open to it, we'll do one more is like the election cycle gets closer and then we'll do one afterwards doing a recap so like an after action report so we'll do like a three-run cycle of this just spaced out you know a couple months 
as it runs closer. That sounds phenomenal. I'm looking forward to it, man. Dude, Akash, okay. Because this is all, this is started off as a business podcast and a self development podcast, we got to bring it back to original Codecast form. Okay. Question we want to close with is worst piece of business advice you have ever gotten? Because you always see so many podcasts like, "What's the best piece of business advice you ever gotten?" We ask, "What's the worst piece of business advice you've ever gotten?" When you say business advice, you, you're talking about like investment, professional, just professional. Yeah, I guess professional. Worst professional advice you've ever gotten. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you, you hear this on LinkedIn all, a lot nowadays. It's like, don't be afraid to speak up. You should always speak your mind and do what your heart says. Uh, if you if you don't, you know, really think through your chess moves three moves in advance, you're gonna get your, you know, ass whooped. And, and sorry for the bad language, but you have to think through it. And I've noticed that a lot of it now to the new candidates, the, the new folks who join our companies. They don't think before they act. They don't think like, what should I say? What should I, how should I use this conversation to elevate my position? They just say, and I think that's a, uh, we need to stop saying like, don't be afraid. We should say, be thoughtful. We actually ran a small, I had a small comedy segment I almost posted months, years ago, where it's like the lack of self-awareness in the world is never not appalling. Like, Akash, how often do we sit there and say like, you did, there's no way he just said that. Like, there's no way he just said that. And like, but he did. That's right. That's right. That's uh, what I'm saying. Yeah, man. So that's the worst, I think, professional advice. I don't know if it's business advice, but you hear that now a lot. Like, oh, don't be afraid. Like, you know, don't let the big man tell you or society tell you, like, you can't do this, of course. But there is a time and place, and you have to be very calculated in when you want to say what you want to say. For sure. Well, gosh, it has been... An absolute pleasure having you on this thing. I knew it was going to be good. I didn't know how good it was going to be, but this is a lot of fun. Codecast listeners, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. And as we always say, to the next us being the best us, we'll see you out there for the next episode.